cold everything is dead. I mean, it's not just cybersecurity. It's it's everywhere. <laughs> Welcome back to Bare Knuckles and Brass Tacks, the cybersecurity podcast that tackles the vendor-customer relationship. I'm George K. with the vendor side. And I'm George A., a Chief Information Security Officer. And today, we're welcoming our guest, Chris Castaldo, CISO at Crossbeam. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited for this conversation. Oh, it's going to be great. All right, we're going to go a few rounds uh, on a key topics, and then we'll get down to brass tacks. Um, but you are on the CISO side, which means vendor gets first crack. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so Chris, you caught my attention first on LinkedIn because there was this uh, really contentious thread. Uh, I think somebody was posting about just getting hammered after an event. I can't remember if it was RSA or Black Hat. Um, and, you know, the most of the comment thread was people jumping in being like, yeah, this is ridiculous. I hate vendors, this, that, and the other. Um, you know, salespeople jumping in. And then you said, uh, and I'm sort of paraphrasing here, but you said, if you control a budget, you should expect to be sold to, which struck me as surprisingly honest. Um, and so, that being said, I am curious about what are some of the sales practices that do rile you the most? I don't know if any rile me. That that sounds like a, a really aggressive term, at least in my <laughs> opinion. Um, I'd say the only thing that probably is, you know, slightly annoying is cold calls on my personal cell. So oh, right. I work at a modern SaaS company. We do not have phone numbers. We don't issue <laughs> cell phones to people. We don't issue soft phones to people. Um, so it like it's it's LinkedIn or mm-hmm. my work email to to get a hold of me. Yeah. Um, that is typically not the fault of that SDR. Um, it's not even the fault really of their tech stack. And, you know, how they're qualifying leads and how they're generating leads. So they're going to these um, large resellers Mm -hmm. of business contact information. They've got millions upon millions of uh, emails, phone numbers. And at whatever point in my career and however long I've had my, (laughs) my phone number, that got, you know, sucked into one of those databases and now is associated with me as a business number, right? Right. So it doesn't always come across as, hey, this is his personal cell that you're calling because they, they would prefer to call your, your work number. I've worked with BD teams and SDRs. Um, they, they want your business contact information, right? They mm-hmm. want you when you're at work, when you're thinking about problems, when you're having pains, not like randomly on the weekend, right? <laughs> like these, these people know how to sell. They know their appropriate time to call you. Um, so that's the only thing that that probably annoys me. I'll you know let them know, hey, this is my personal cell. I'm happy to chat if it's a uh, appropriate need that we have. Mm-hmm. Here's my work email. Email me there, right? That's that's the place that's uh, uh, easiest for me to catalog because uh, I like everyone else gets hundreds of requests, right? Yeah, um, per month, per year. Um, so that that would be the only one that uh, I think maybe meets your definition. 
Okay, <laughs> fair enough. Yeah, I have to <clears throat> also just want to see suicide as well. You know, it's we work in security, and I don't know about you, Chris, but um, I don't really feel too good about random phone numbers when they call me. I have a personal policy of not answering them because yeah, it just kind of comes to the territory. And and that's an issue now too, right? Like we're all getting calls about our extended car warranty. I don't pick up any <laughs> unknown numbers, right? Because I have no idea if I'm now going to validate my number in one of those spam systems that are, you know, just constantly calling and calling. Um, so I, I don't even know if that's really a valid way to do cold outreach just, just today in general. Not that people don't want to pick up the phone, but now no one trusts that it's a legitimate call coming through. Well, and that on top of just the, you know, let's be honest, the pandemic changed everything. Like how many offices do have phones and VoIP systems and whatever. I mean, people will call and they'll be like, Hey, can you transfer me to I'm like, dude, I, I can't transfer you. There's no, like, I don't have like the big number pad anymore. <laughs> like click over to someone's extension. Um, but yeah, sorry, I cut you off. No, yeah, that actually leads perfectly into kind of my question on is, is how have you uh, operationalized your exposure to vendors, you know, because uh, some CISOs say they set time aside every week to listen to pitches. Others only deal with vendors through trusted partners. You know, what key uh, intangibles outside of an immediate business or operational need influence you to take that call or pitch from a new salesperson? So uh, I usually prioritize either through email or LinkedIn. That's kind of the the two main sources of cold outreach. Like if I mm. am not looking for a specific solution uh, and just get some type of cold inbound, those are the two places I'll, I'll prioritize. Um, email is far easier. Um, I'm sure everyone that, that probably will listen to this has used LinkedIn and mail. Um, yeah. If you haven't used it from the seller side, right? Most sellers are in sales navigator, completely different view, far more expensive than, uh, uh, the normal, like uh, LinkedIn premium or whatever. Mm -hmm. But the, the chat box is so incredibly small, even on the web desktop. Like <laughs> if you just look at the little pop-up window, the amount of text you would send in a normal email does not fit like, like just in the screen size does not fit in LinkedIn email. So it's their LinkedIn and mail. So it's very hard to like get a quick gist versus like me reading an email quickly. Um, sometimes I'll recognize the vendor name, but most of the time I will try and take the call for either two reasons. One, there, there's no way for me to possibly know everything is out there, right? The last momentum cyber report, I think there's 3,500 cybersecurity vendors out there. Like, there's, there's just not time for me to know them all. So I feel it's my responsibility to the business to make sure we're using the best product for us now, what's going to get us to the next level, what's going to grow with us and scale. Um, and then the other side of that is being able to help the community. So if I've seen a vendor and I see someone in you know one of the numerous security slacks I'm in um, and say, hey, does anyone know uh, someone that does X? Like, oh, I just saw a demo of this platform. Mm. It kind of meets that need. Go check these folks out. Right. So I, I think there's a, a benefit to us all doing that because at some point we will have all looked at every vendor and, and be able to kind of use that, that brain trust. So that's kind of how I, I prioritize. And then obviously if there's an actual business need, I'll go kind of do the inverse. I'll, I'll go to LinkedIn. Um, maybe if I don't know the space really well, I'll maybe go to 
G2 and, and look for, you know, product space and, and who's listed in there. And then obviously hitting up the network, going on Slack, say, hey, does anyone either know this space, know this vendor? Have you used them? Do you like them? Who would you recommend? Um, and then start the evaluation from there. Yeah, you're, you're not the first CISO to mention the uh, security slack. I feel like it's the elephant graveyard. It's like the much ballyhooed and mythical land where CISOs get together and, and uh, talk about these things. But um, I also think it points to the value of relationships, right? Because if somebody has burned you or one of your colleagues and you go and ask about that vendor, this is what I stress all the time. I was like, if you burn that one person, you're like, ah, I, I didn't get that deal. No, you, you might've lost 300 deals. Cause I just told all their friends that you're like the worst person to deal with. Um, but that actually brings me to my next point. So, you know, I think of that as a very progressive view that you take this kind of whole of the community idea that, you know, I have an obligation to also share what, what I have with, with my, um, colleagues, but I'm curious about that inflection point in the beginning of your relationship with a vendor. Like, can you put your finger on where you can tell, okay, this is going to be productive. This is interesting or, oh, it's that kind of pitch. This is going to be a waste of everyone's time. So um, you can tell by the the person's title, right? If you're speaking to an SDR, right? They're mm -hmm. probably not going to demo the product. They're they're qualifying leads, right? So they're they're making sure you are worth passing on to an AE, right? Because that AE's time is very expensive, right? They want those folks working on only the deals that have the highest likelihood to close. If you have a really strong sales methodology, you have a really strong qualification methodology. Those are kind of the well-oiled machines. And you can tell, okay, they, they know who their ideal customer is. They're trying to make sure you fit that first of all, right? Right. Like if, um, let's just say Cisco e emails me and wants to sell me like next gen routers, mm -hmm. I, I'm not an ISP. So I'm not, right. I'm not an ideal right. customer, right? That would be a waste of everyone's time. Um, where you can tell is uh, we're more like on the AE side, or if you're getting pitched uh, from like a small startup, like from the founders, mm -hmm. uh, those are always really great pitches. I, I think every founder I've got a pitch from, it's, it's always, they're just so passionate, right? It's, it's the thing they're building. I sure. love it. It's, you know, their, their pride and joy, um, that'll get passed on usually to the first order of sales hire. So like that, that first set of sales mm -hmm. folks that they hire for their team, they'll kind of have that passion. Um, where it starts to fall apart is where um, teams don't have a methodology in place or don't have some type of repeatable process. They're not doing any research before the call on who they're pitching to, the company, does my product even fit in their tech stack? There's so much open source information, mm -hmm. even just from DNS to figure out what email, are we on, <laughs> what, right. uh, what, plat what cloud platform are we hosted on, right? We're a SaaS company. If your mm -hmm. um, product only works in Oracle cloud, well, you can go in DNS and, and see if we're on Oracle cloud or not, right? So there, there's that type of work you can tell if that's been put in. Um, and then just knowledge about their product, right? If they have to say, oh, you know, that'll be a sales engineer that can answer that, um, you know, and, and I get it. Like a lot of the stuff we buy in, in 
cybersecurity is pretty technical, but um, that, that's where you can really tell the, the difference in a pitch. I'm not going to lie, Chris. I feel pretty called out by how much you know about sales methodology. <laughs> um, this is very transparent. Um, but yeah, I take your point. It's not like we've talked repeatedly about, you know, have you done, you know, the basic level of research into this company? For example, you know, am I going to approach Crossbeam like I'm going to approach a credit union? That would be ridiculous. But if I'm going on title alone, I think that's where the bad practice is. They're like, just get me a list of CISOs, right? And I'm just going to go after all the CISOs, you know, sort of here's the same pitch every time, regardless of, uh, you know, what their business model is, where their risk would lie, uh, things like that. But yeah, over to you, George A. Yeah, no, it's, it's kind of a, an on-point thing. I mean, vendors are always generally trying to drive things with, you know, whatever window of time their quarterly or monthly quota permits them. You know, some sales I've found take a much longer cycle to complete because of the scale of the solution or just the sheer magnitude of the price. How do you balance between you know, maintaining an honest relationship with both BDRs and account execs, excuse me, while still driving the conversation about, you know, or around timelines such that your requirements and limitations as a, as a client are the primary factor for how fast the engagement moves and not their desire to meet their bonus or not get fired? So I always come into it with the intention that this is going to be a partnership, uh, not just a transaction. So nice. I expect there to be some level of giving on both sides. And uh, I'm pretty upfront and very honest. Like if they are going through their qualification methodology and figuring out, okay, what do I need to close? What are the steps? Um, what is the budget? Who's the prover? Obviously, in, in my case, I'm the I'm the final decision maker. But obviously, <laughs> right. a large two hundred thousand person company, you're, you're probably going to go through four, five, six, ten people reselling your solution to people that aren't the buyer, right? The procurement team or something like that. So, uh, you know, I'll be very honest. Like, hey, we're not we're not looking at buying it this quarter. We're not looking at buying it this year. Right? Mm -hmm. Sales teams operate in quarters. Um, I, I don't think any of those little games are, are really worth it in the long run. You know, I've, I've heard heard and seen people, you know, blatantly admit to it on, on LinkedIn that, you know, they'll wait till the last day of the quarter to then finally yeah. uh, uh, sign a deal to try and get the best price. Like that's just, uh, I think just a, a novice, immature uh, that's not way good of thinking. Yeah. Um, and, and doesn't, I think work out for the business in the long run and is also a good way of like qualifying yourself out of the deal as, as the buyer, because that from the, the vendor's perspective, that's not going to be a great customer. They're just looking for the bottom, bottom mm -hmm. line. And you're probably not going to get a case study out of them. You're probably not going to get a customer referral out of them. They're probably not going to go to their network and be like, Hey, this is the most amazing product in the right. world. Right. Like your MPS score is probably going to be, uh, mid, mid level to low the, the whole time of that, uh, transaction. Yeah. I mean, that's, um, yeah, that's a really good point on that two way street. I, I really appreciate also that note. I've, I've seen a couple of those posts too. I've seen posts where people intentionally wait till the day after the quarter just to mess with people. And I'm like, well, you, I hope you, you shouldn't, that's not a good look. I wouldn't post that publicly. <laughs> well, especially if you work at a B2B SaaS company, Right, like, right. <laughs> how does that look to your internal team? 
mm-hmm. the team that is bringing in revenue, paying your salary. Yeah. Right. What, what is that saying to your team and, and your uh, opinion of them and, and your value? Right. I, I just think it's a, uh, not the, not the best way to go about business. It's indicative of, I think it's a lack of empathy and kind of dehumanizing the fact that we're people, right. You're selling yeah. people. It's people selling people. That's the game. Yeah. 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 For sure. Oh, so Chris, I, I appreciate the candor about, you know, you'd say like, well, you know, now's not the time we're not buying this quarter, what have you. Um, for that relationship, let's say, let's say ideal state seller takes that to heart and is like, cool, I'm not going to bug you this quarter. Do you still appreciate them kind of checking in, either sharing thought? So the, the standard sales playbook is right. I'm not going to let you go cold. I'm going to send you, oh, here's a blog post. Hey, Chris, just check in and hope things are all right. You know, like, is that a level of pestering? Because that's on the other side of the spectrum where... I hear what you're saying and I choose to ignore it, you know, and I, and I just keep pounding you about like, are you sure this isn't a priority? You know? So do you appreciate that level of engagement? Even if you've said like, you know, this, this quarter, no check in next quarter, you know, what's that, uh, that back and forth look like? Well, a really good rep after I say that is going to say, okay, when, when would you like me to follow up or, uh, can I put something on the calendar just as a reminder to follow up in two months, three months or mm-hmm. something like that, right? Like I've got a million things going on. Like yeah, yeah. the fraction of time that I devote my mind to like buying a product <laughs> is, you know, a sliver of the day, right? right? I'm doing a million other things. So I appreciate that because it's like uh, offloading some of that like mental load that I don't have to remember. Like, oh yeah, I had this conversation two months ago and I said, let's follow up and they didn't follow up. And that's what a CRM's for, right? Like <laughs> let them go put that in their CRM and, you know, put you in there, what, you know, whatever tool they use for, for outreach and, and ping you when it's uh, a better time, right? Like let, let them do that work for you. Great. That's a great answer. Um, all right. We're going to take a short break uh, and then we will be back. Uh, with some questions from the audience. All right, Chris, so really excited. Uh, We got a couple of questions from the audience. So I'm going to kick it over to George A for the first one. Yeah, thank you. So let's just start off here. Knowing that you're operating in the largely fear-based market, what is replacing your fear when you finally pull the trigger and buy? Is it like deep trust, gut feeling, facts? Like what what puts you over the edge? I don't know if we're in a fear-based market. Um, I don't feel that way. Maybe maybe other people do. I, I guess if, if someone's asking that question, maybe maybe they feel. Yeah, we do, but I, I don't think we are, or I don't feel that way. Um, I think what uh, puts it over the edge to like say, yep, let's let's sign the contract and move forward is that one, you know, it meets our, our business's needs, right? If we've identified a gap, does this product, uh, tool, service fill that gap? Uh, will it grow with us? Does this feel like a partnership where mm-hmm. maybe we can 
um, ask for certain features that don't exist anymore, right? We're not going to get that with probably a giant, well-established, uh, you know, publicly traded cybersecurity company, but maybe a smaller startup, like they're, they're going to be willing to, to work with us. Maybe we're a design partner. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe the product's so amazing. We'd be happy to do a, uh, a case study and maybe there's a little discount in there, right? Like that, that's the, the part of, using empathy when you're buying something is if you just treat someone like a human being that is also trying to do their job, they're going to be willing to go out of their way to help you, right? Like you say, Hey, I want to buy this thing. My budget is X. You gave me a quote for something way more than that. Is there a way we can fit it in to that number? If not, that's fine. Like I'm not, not upset, right? Like you have numbers to hit. And if I'm asking for an insane discount that is unreasonable, then it's not the right time. I'll move it to next year. We'll mitigate mitigate the risk some way or just accept it for now. Um, but that's really, those are kind of the three main things that I think are, are really important to say, okay, let's, let's move forward. This is the right choice for our business. Very logical. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Chris, interested, again, going back to this, uh, deep and intimate knowledge you have with the sales discovery process. <laughs> um, do you find discovery calls impactful? So you, you have a very clear eyed view of I am being approached by a BDR. I am being qualified. I, you know, you, ha- you seem to have a, a sharper read on that. I think uh, maybe more distance than, than most, but do you find that useful Uh, Or would you rather kind of like just jump into a demo, talk it out uh, and high level and then go back to bringing other teams in? I guess this is more like from the seller side. And and we did get this question from a seller, like, what is the best use of your time in that first initial stage? I think this is, again, where you see the difference between a mature and immature sales team where Mm. if they're immovable from that discovery call. And I've had this only happen once, um, actually in the last year when I was looking for a pro, I won't even name the industry. Um, I was looking for a product and I had about, I think seven different vendors that were, that I either found on my own or, or people recommended that, Hey, we use this platform for X, uh, check them out. Um, I was a warm lead. So I went to their website, I Mm -hmm. clicked schedule a demo. I put in my information, right? That is, that's, you know, very good indicator of a high yep. possible conversion rate, right? It's coming right through your website. I'm giving you all my contact info and I'm telling you exactly why I'm looking to buy your product. Uh, they would not schedule a demo without that discovery call. They refused it. Like three, I had a, a whole thread with this person. They refused to give me a demo without doing a qualification call. And I, I knew we would have fit because I knew the other people using their platform, they were, you know, similar size SaaS companies, uh, similar infrastructure. So I, I was pretty, pretty sure maybe there was something I, I didn't see. I'll, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt, but um, yeah, that, that I think is the kind of key where if you're not able to really work through whatever methodology your organization has picked, or if you're just like working on your own, um, like just being so rigid, like you, you mm. got to kind of go meet people where they want to be met. Yeah. Um, that's, that's and, not a know, winning they, model. 
<laughs> yeah. I mean, they, they lost a deal. Right. And, and I'm not going to recommend them to anyone because I don't want to oh. say like, Hey, you should go check, check them out. Mm-hmm. And then someone has the same experience and they're like, Chris, why the hell do you recommend those people? <laughs> don't include on a, on a pod as well. So now they're just fodder for the cannon. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, exactly. hey, you should totally go raise your hand and fill out this form because they will never contact you. Um, cool. All right. Well, we'll take another short break and then it's down to brass tacks. We're back. All right, Chris, it's down to brass tacks. So we're going to, we've, talked about the problem. We've talked about the interaction with uh, CISO sales, sales methodologies. Um, if you could grab a sales leader and give them three tips for overhauling their program to be more effective, you know, what would those three things be? So I'll say this with the acknowledgement that I used to be on the other side of the coin, right? Like my mm-hmm. opinion now is very different than when I started in cybersecurity, right? I was totally on the other other side of the table. So it has taken a lot of, you know, reflection and mm-hmm. a lot of learning about the businesses I have worked in to really understand, you know, what, what makes things work and, and why sales exists and why we should um, have a very different mindset than I think most of, uh, most of what you see on LinkedIn, unfortunately. So I think from the seller side is research, right? And, and any, you pick up any modern sales methodology book that that's going to definitely be part of that, Mm -hmm. um, part of your process, researching that customer, right? If it's come to you from an SDR or it's a worm inbound, um, just doing some research about that company, you know, figure out their product. If you have no idea what their product does, um, Maybe someone on your team does like, Hey, does anyone know what this, this thing does? I have no, I have no idea what this space is. I never heard of it. Um, research really, really important. Um, cold, cold, everything is dead. I mean, it's not just cybersecurity. It's, it's everywhere. So <laughs> if you have a, you know, head of alliances, head of partnerships, channel market, like leverage those internal teams that may have some type of partnership with your prospect that is already sold to them, right? Mm-hmm. There's, there's Intel out there to know like, who's the buyer, what, what are they like? Um, what's their driving forces, what type of budget they might have, how your technology might fit into their stack. Um, at least on the cybersecurity side, right? Like we all have what 10 plus cybersecurity tools in, in most of our environments, if, if not more, yeah. the bigger, the bigger, the, um, enterprise, right? And not all of those integrate, not all those play really well together in in the same environment. So if you can leverage a tool or a partner that is complementary to what you're selling, that is already in that environment, that's huge, right? Mm -hmm. If you can get a warm intro, I think I'm probably preaching to the choir that like every, every, he probably knows that like, yes, I would love a warm intro. Um, And then I think making sure you know, you've, you're understanding the right boundaries. You're, you're actively listening when you do get that call or you do get a response, um, to an email. And I would say, don't give up, right. The average tenure for a 
Siso is 18-ish months, so at last have count. a new option to sell to <laughs> uh, down the road. So don't don't discount that uh, that prospect. Um, and also remember, if you've built that relationship, now that person could possibly take you to another company to close another deal. Like um, there, there's a tool I've bought three times at three different companies, right? Because yeah. the, the product has been that great. I can really trust and rely on them. I know it's going to deliver. Uh, their team is pleasant to work with. Their pricing's reasonable. Um, so, like remembering those things, you know, the um, long-term partnership is it goes goes a long way. Well, and the trust goes in also, even if the product has a snafu or they put out a release, they got to put out a hot fix, whatever. You you trust that they're going to take care of you because you know you've had you've built that that trust so um, exactly yeah yeah that's that's a really good three i suspect we don't have time to get into sales metrics i totally agree with the fact that cold everything is dead because i mean no one wants to be approached that way but you know i i think the the numbers um in terms of the measurement kind of drive some of that activity right because it's it's a quick way to take a bead on a on a sales team it's like well how many calls did you make how many meetings you have right so it kind of drives that but i mean we'll get into that in a different episode because i think there's a lot of um, a lot of meat to that i don't think that that model has caught up with the way people are buying these days yeah i totally agree with you on the vendor relationships across different employers by the way like i you know no need to name it but obviously I've worked with them quite a bit, so um, I have to ask you. So, what's your top tip to new CISOs who may feel overwhelmed um, by the absolute tidal wave of vendor requests coming at them? Because I know for me, like it, sometimes I get so many of them, I get anxiety. Like I see it, I'm like, oh, done, done. I'm gonna go take a walk, take a break. I can't deal with it. Yeah. So, uh, for a new CISO, and I just want to make sure we're using the same definition. So, like someone stepping into, like, I just got a new job yesterday. It's my mm-hmm. first ninety days. Um, I pretty much ignore everything in that first 90, um, or just kind of let it, let it build up and I'll get, get back to it. If I can reply and just say like, uh, Hey, let's follow up in, uh, the following quarter, you know, four or five months from now, because that first 90 days is really learning the business, learning the organization relationship building in my business, right? Like I can't just come in and say, Hey, we're going to spend a million dollars on X. Um, and, and no one really knows me yet right mm-hmm. like we've had what 10 hours of interviews let's say follow on to that though like you're one year in but you're a new CISO in general it's your first gig now you're year in you know your team you know your organization they know you're the target now what do you do uh take as many of the calls as possible um where you can manage your time best right like we're all responsible for managing our, our own time, right? Once you're, um, you know, an executive, you're reporting to the CEO, GC, COO, whatever, mm-hmm. like the responsibility is on you. Like no one's going to teach you anymore. Um, you know, you got to find mentorship somewhere else. You're, you're brought in expecting to know all these things. Um, but I think for us in cybersecurity, you know, even looking at our peers, I don't think they're getting as much in flux as, as we are, right? Like there's yeah. not that many HR tools, right? Like, <laughs> right, right. I, I don't think that the market is that big. Uh, may, maybe the VC market is, but um, I think, you know, looking at that stuff as it comes in, you can quickly triage. Like if you recognize the name, maybe it's something you want to 
take a look at, if they've crafted the email or message well enough where you can glean what, what the heck it is from, from that message. Um, but I, I've found a lot of value taking those 15, 30 minute long pitches. Um, it's usually, you know, from, from the founders, cause it's usually a startup. Um, I don't get a lot of like cold, cold inbound from like large enterprise, uh, cybersecurity companies, which lucky you, yeah, maybe they've qualified <laughs> me out. I, <laughs> I don't know, but, um, I, I think they've been really valuable in a lot of different ways, just making sure I'm staying up to speed on what's out there being able, like I said earlier, give back to the community when I've seen something and solve someone else's problem. That's, you know, always nice to, to be able to share. Um, and just growing your network outside of cybersecurity, uh, community, right? Like I've gotten to know a lot of salespeople, a lot of founders mm -hmm. that have helped in a lot of other different ways in my career. So, um, don't, don't just, uh, close the door before you look behind it. I like it. I appreciate that. Yeah. And that is a, that is a perfect place to wrap things up. I think that's a very, uh, under, understated and, um, understanding approach. So Chris, thank you so much for the time, especially since we always record late at night. Uh, really appreciate you, uh, weighing in here. That's super fun. I appreciate it. And I look forward to seeing, uh, the, uh, discussion on LinkedIn with everyone. All right. Thanks so much. We'll talk soon. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your questions. Stay tuned for more. Subscribe today to Bare Knuckles and Brass Tacks.